And back at it for another week here, the number 416-216-5900 and Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com to get a hold. Uh, we'll get to some emails later in the show. Uh, this week, uh, first, as we always uh, start off, my friend, is the week that was. How were things? Yeah, good. Thanks, John. It seems like uh, it's been actually a long week since uh, since I saw you last. Oh, yeah. Uh, so l- welcome, everyone, in the show and happy to be here. So let me tell you a couple of cases, as I always like to do, start with a couple of situations that I've seen. Not always unique situations, but interesting situations. Mm-hmm. In the first case, I uh, I met with uh, a fairly young young guy in his uh, in his thirties, but for for medical reasons, he actually had been absent from the workplace for about four years. He had worked for about uh, seven or eight years, and then uh, for medical reasons, was absent for four years. When he went on leave four years ago, he'd provided the employer with the doctor's letter saying he's going to be off. The employer didn't ask any questions, didn't give him a hard time. Uh, in fact, he hadn't heard from the employer in four years. Well, fast forward to uh, last month when the employee is getting better and the doctor says you should uh, try to return back to work. So the employee contacts his employer and says, okay, good news, employer. I'm ready to come back to work. Uh, ideally, I'd like to do that in, uh, in May. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me what I could do. Tell me when I can start. Uh, uh, sends a follow-up email, hasn't heard. Uh, another follow-up email finally gets a, a, an email saying, well, what are you talking about? You don't work here anymore. You haven't worked here for years. Uh, you're not coming back to work. What do you want? Well, and then the employee says, well, wait a second. I mean, why are they saying that? I hadn't said that I'm not coming back to work. They didn't say anything to me. So why shouldn't I be able to come back to work? And the employee is completely correct on this. Uh, If the employer wanted to end the relationship, maybe they could have done that on the basis of what we call frustration. Because he was gone for so long, they may be able to say the relationship ended. But the employer never did that. And the employer can't do that now when he's actually better and well enough to come back to work. So if the employer is faced with a situation where the employee is absent for a lengthy period of time and the employer simply lets the employee stay on disability, doesn't end the relationship, if that employee wants to come back to work and if you don't take them back to work, guess what? That's a termination and now you have to pay severance. So for this employer, these last four years where the employee has been off of work, the employee has not been there, count as service. Mm. So instead of being an eight-year employee, he's now a 12-year employee, and that employee is going to have to pay severance. And that employer believes that somehow uh, it doesn't owe the employee anything. So there's a very important lesson here for employers and employees. For employers, if you have an employee on disability leave, if they're gone for a period of time, the lengthy period of time, you have to do something or risk the situation. Then in a year, two, five, 20, that employee may say, I want to come back to work. Because if you don't end the relationship formally, that person is still an employee. For employees, of course, is um, just because you've been off on disability doesn't mean you can't come back to work. doesn't mean that you lose your severance if uh, the employer doesn't take you back to work. You always have to get legal advice. So in this particular case, that employee is looking at some hefty severance. Along those lines, didn't do, we did a show once where you had someone who was just lurking on the books for about 25 years. Isn't that right? Yeah, that was an unbelievable case. Literally, in that case, the employer forgot about this employee, for, just forgot. Kept them on benefits, not even realizing that they're on benefits for 25 years. Wow. And by the way, 25 years ago, that employee only worked for about a year, year and a half. <laughs> And now they find out, wait a second, we have this 26-year employee here, and uh, if we cut off their benefits, are, are they going to allege constructive dismissal, and now we're going to have to pay them severance for 26 years of service? Just uh, a, a nutty situation. Uh, that's obviously a very, very unique situation, but it is very common when an employee is off on leave for an extended period of time, they want to come back, and the employer says, no, no, you can't, because you don't work here anymore. 
That's not the case. Unless you've actively terminated their employment at some point and paid them severance, mm-hmm. they're still your employee. And if you don't take them back, now you have to pay severance. Give us the next one. So the next one, very simple matter. And really the type of uh, the, kind of the bread and butter of cases that I, I see in my practice. Uh, I had a, an employee that's worked for 10 years, that uh, just under 10 years, that came to see me and was offered... Uh, they'd work for nine, the reason I know the time is they they worked for just nine and a quarter years and they were offered nine and a quarter weeks of severance, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know by now, John, that that's not even close. No. That employer thought that there was some sort of a rule of a week for every year of service, so they said they will pay nine and a quarter weeks for nine and a quarter years of service. Where in fact, I had assessed this employee as being entitled to fourteen months of pay. Wow. So. Uh, That employer had a bit of a hard time understanding why the Ministry of Labor is telling them and writing on their website, as the Ministry of Labor does, that they only owe a week for every year of service because it's a smaller company. Why should we have to pay more? Uh, But ultimately, that employer is wrong. And and why they're wrong? Because the the amount of severance that a person is owed is not dependent on the amount of uh, employees or the size of the company. It's based on the person's age, length of employment, and position. So for this particular case, this one call that the person made uh, meant that instead of getting nine and a quarter weeks of uh, severance, they were looking at 14 months of severance. Huge difference. Because that quarter week is key, right? You've got to have the quarter week. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we'll take a short break. The number is 416-216-5900. Again, Lior at employmenthour.com. We're just getting started. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. Lior at employmenthour.com and 416-216-5900 to get a hold of Lior anytime. Want to talk about something very important, but seems kind of basic, right? How severance is actually calculated. Yes. And, you know, John, uh, we talk about the main factors, which is age, length of employment, Mm -hmm. and position. And those are the main factors that go in assessing how much severance a person should get. And by the way, mind you, I said... Size of the company doesn't matter, okay? And, and uh, you may work for a small company, tiny company, and you're going to get the same severance as if you're working for a company with 100,000 uh, employees. Right. But there's other factors that go into determining how severance is actually calculated. Uh, anything really, John, that impacts how long it should take you to find another job is relevant and impacts how much severance uh, you get paid. So, for example, the industry you work in, in a certain industry, it should take someone less time than to find a job than in a different industry. You may work in an industry where there's a lot of jobs, or you may work in an industry where there's no jobs. So if you work in an industry where there's just not a lot of jobs, a lot of, uh, a lot of demand for someone with your skills, what that means, it's going to take you longer to find another mm-hmm. job, presumably. Makes sense. And that also means you're going to be entitled to more severance as a result. Another thing, another factor may be anything that impacts your ability to look for work, like a medical condition. If you have a medical condition, it may mean it's going to take you longer to find a job than if you were completely healthy. So a medical condition could factor in and may mean you're owed more severance. Uh, so that's why uh, the ultimate question when someone is let go is, how long should it take reasonably this person to find another job? And that's what severance is intended to estimate. And it's just an estimation because no one knows. Someone, people could take uh, a week to find another job. Some can take three years. Uh, but we look at age, length of employment, and position because we assume that the, uh, the longer someone works, the older they are, and the more senior position they have, the longer it's going to take them to find another job, therefore the more severance. But there's other factors that go into that. So uh, remember, you, you may be working in a very short period of time, but in an industry where there's just no jobs, 
So you lose that job may mean you're entitled to a heck of a lot more severance than you would get if you were in a different industry. Have you ever come across a case in your practice where, say, geography comes into uh, into account? Say, you know, two people lose the same job. One guy lives in Toronto. The other guy lives in Tuktoyaktuk. Like there's 10 people in the entire town. My Obviously, home, it's getting, my hometown. Of course it is. Right. Yes, that's right. It was Romanian territory at one point, wasn't it? Clearly. That's right. I mean, does that come into it or no? Yeah. No. It, it does, because it does does uh, certainly factor into how long it should take someone to find another job. So if I'm in a, some sort of a very small community, mm-hmm. not a lot of companies, it may take me a lot more than to find a job in a big city, than like, like Toronto, for example. So absolutely a huge, huge factor. And some people end up relocating. We know that because uh, they can't find a job where they are. So yes, in, in a place where there's more ability to look for work, to find work, Generally, severance may be less than in somewhere more remote where there's just no jobs. You know, it's one big company. That company let me go. Where the heck am I going to find another job? 416-216-5900, Lior at employmenthour.com. What if a person's hours of work vary? How do do you begin to calculate severance? Yeah, and ultimately, uh, that happens very, very often. A person's hours may be be different. You may work different times, different uh, days. And the question is, now I'm let go. I have to get severance, so I, I need to get six months compensation. But what is six months? Because every day, every week, every month for me is different. Right. Well, it, it's not very scientific, but we look at an average. We look at the average number of hours that the person works, the average number, uh, the uh, average amount of compensation that they get, and, and we calculate that. How far back we go depends, depends on the length of employment. Usually anywhere from one to three years is how far we go back. So you know, what kind of income, what kind of hours were you making or you earning on average uh, in a week, in a month, over the past two or three mm-hmm. years? And we use that figure. So the employer oftentimes may say, well, you know, your your regular hours are 10 hours a week. We're going to use that. But really, uh, in fact, the employee may, may have regular 10 hours a week, but they end up working 25. Well, if they usually work 25 hours a week and they can show that and that's what the figure showed, then the seven should be based on the 25 yeah. hours, not the 10 hours. The uh, number to get a hold is 416-216-5900 and shoot your Lior, uh, shoot your Lior's, never do that. Shoot your emails to Lior at L-I-O-R at employmenthour.com. Is that some sort of Freudian slip? Yeah, I like John, you, buddy. I really seriously, do. Seriously, yeah. Shoot Lior, please. Yeah, <laughs> let, me get to, uh, let me get to one of those. Actually, this is uh, right in your wheelhouse. Saul in Barry says, seven and a half months of severance. Uh, is it enough for a 47-year-old salesperson with 15 years uh, service? Yeah, and I bet you there's uh, literally hundreds of people now that have heard our show many times and say, no, no, Saul, it's not even close. And and that's completely correct. It's not even close. Uh, 47-year-old salesperson, 15 years, I mean, you're looking at anywhere from 14 to 18 months of severance there easily. Seven and a half months is, you know, on a good day, uh, 50 cents on the dollar. So that's not even close uh, to Saul. Uh, for Saul, and rem- remember, I, ha- I don't know and I don't care, and I never asked how big the company is that he's working for because that's not relevant. So for Saul, yes, he's received a bad severance offer, quite, quite bad. So he needs to call me, and the bad news is it's a bad severance offer. The good news is this is not going to be difficult to resolve. And that's what a lot of people are worried about, right? They're going to be tied up with you or and even a court, they think, mistakenly yeah. for, for months, if not years, trying to get this figured because out. Because they may say, greatly, or getting another seven months of severance sounds great, but if I have to pay $50,000 on legal fees mm-hmm. uh, and, and spend hours with you and be in court uh, for, back and forth for the next two years, thank you, but no thank you. Not the the reality is it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Usually these things resolve quickly with the letter within a couple of weeks, uh, painlessly. You don't have to do anything. 
It's so, so easy that it's a shame for someone to walk away from their rights, from their legal entitlements. And money on the table. And money that they're owed Mm -hmm. because they're concerned about something that's not going to happen. If an employee used to be a full-time employee but now is back to part-time or is now part-time, what is severance going to be based on? Yeah, and and it's based on your terms of employment most recently. So if you've worked for 20 years, 19 of those you're a full-time employee working 45 hours a week, but over the past year became part-time employee only working 10 hours a week, and now you were let go, then your severance is going to be calculated on the basis of the 10 hours. That sucks. It, it sucks That's big brutal. time. brutal. Now, where it sucks even more, and this is where the caution comes in, is if an employer says, employee, I want to change your hours, uh, and if the employer changes your hours, you accept that, and then the next day the employer terminates your employment, now not only... Uh, are you not going to get the same amount of severance? You're going to get severance based on the reduced amount of hours. So you got to be very, very careful about that. Uh, it's based on the terms of your employment at the time of termination, not what they were before. So if you're working part-time, but you, most of your life you work full-time, your severance is going to be calculated on that basis. Take a short break. The number 416-216-5900 to reach Lior directly and Lior at employmenthour.com. Lots more of the show coming up. We're calculating severance. This is stuff you need to know right here on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. Number to call, 416-216-5900, Lior at employmenthour.com, talking about how severance is actually calculated. This is key information, folks. Uh, you want to email Lior, we'll get to some emails here in just a minute. Uh, some employees may have a, uh, a low guaranteed salary, right, a base, but get commissions on top or bonuses. Are those going to be part of the severance? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Nice. And when we're talking about severance, the amount of severance that you get has to include all components of your compensation. So that means all components, salary, bonus, benefits, etc. So a lot of people make really good income, but only a very small part of that is guaranteed. So maybe I make uh, $100,000, but my base is 50000 The rest I get through commissions and bonuses and incentives. What happens when I lose my job? It has to be all included. The reason for that is the amount of severance you get is, in t- is intended to reflect what you would get if you'd stayed on for the mm. relevant period of time. So if you get 12 months severance, the idea is to put you in the same position that you would have been had you worked for 12 months. Well, we know that if you work for 12 months, you would have got salary, you would have gotten bonus, you would have gotten uh, commissions because we can look at past history. So all of those have to be included. And to calculate it, again, we would look at past history. We would look at an average. Uh, if the employment is fairly short, we would look at what you, you, uh, you've made throughout the course of your employment on average. If the employment is long, we would look at two or three year average and say, you know, on average, John makes X amount of money, including salary and bonus and, and uh, commissions. So that's what's going to be included. And what I see in my practice, many employers conveniently forget about those other components of, of compensation and say, well, John, your salary is 50. I know you make 100, but your salary is 50. So we're going to use the 50 to calculate your eight months or 12 months or 18 months of severance, forgetting about everything else. So when it comes to severance, not only are we concerned about the an amount of months that a person should be getting, we're also concerned about how it was calculated and what's included in it. So eight months of severance may be very different if it's just eight months of salary mm-hmm. versus eight months of salary and bonus and commissions and benefits. What are the bonuses discretionary? Yeah, and, and that is always, always the key. And right. An employer always pays a bonus. Uh, always based on performance, but when it comes time to terminate, well, wait a second, the bonus was discretionary, so we don't have to pay you. Now, if a bonus is truly discretionary, it does not have to be included as part of the severance. But when is a bonus discretionary? A bonus is discretionary when it's not paid regularly, 
uh, when there's no guarantee of a bonus, it's not tied to anything specific that you do. It's really something that the employer decides to do from time to time to, to reward an employee that did a good job. On the other hand, if you get a bonus every, every Christmas. year, every Christmas or mm-hmm. at the end of the fiscal year or the calendar year, uh, and you know, here's the metrics, here's how we calculated it. Based on the performance of this division, you got 20%. Based on your individual right. performance, you got 30%. That's not a discretionary bonus. That's a bonus that they have to pay you. So when it comes time, if the employer terminates, they have to include that bonus. Uh, and, and it's not enough, by the way, to have a, a contract that says, well, the contract says, uh, employee, that the bonus is discretionary. If the reality on the ground doesn't reflect the fact that the bonus is discretionary, you always get it. It's always based on specific uh, uh, metrics. That has to be included as part of the severance, no matter what. Substance over form, my friend. Substance over always. form, yeah. Always, always, always. 416-216-5900, Lior at employmenthour.com. I want to bounce over to Denise and Milton. Uh, sent you this email, says, I work at a dental, and we've had, actually, we've, we've had this case before, a similar one. I worked at a dental office, and a new dentist is about to buy the practice. The dentist I'm working for has said to all employees that if we don't go to work for the new dentist, then we resign. Is that yeah. correct? <laughs> well, but what do you think the answer is, Johnny? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. And that is exactly right. No. Uh, an employee does not have the obligation to go work, and not just in the dental office, by the way. Any employee whose business is sold, and we'll talk more about this later on the show today, does not have to go work for the business that that, uh, the new employer. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if the employee decides not to go, they're still entitled to severance. Depending on why they decided not to go work for the other company, they may not get their full severance, but they are going to be entitled to some severance no matter what. Either way, it's not a resignation. I work for a company... If, to, if tomorrow I'm no longer working for this company because they sold the business, I'm terminated by the company. They decided they're not going to employ me for whatever reason, so they owe me severance. They don't get to say you've resigned because I decided not to go work for someone else. How about uh, overtime hours, which is very commonplace, right? Absolutely. So in terms of calculating severance, the question often becomes, does overtime get included? Does overtime form part of severance? The answer is yes, it does. Many employees work overtime Uh, And they have to get that included as part of the severance. So if usually you make a salary of $50,000, but you also get an extra $10,000 in overtime, when it comes time to calculating your severance, you're now making $60,000, and the full 60 gets counted. Most employers, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this, are not going to include overtime. I'm going to say, no, no, we're just going to pay you on the base salary. But if you can show that consistently you've worked overtime, you can show what your T4s have been, the T4, by the way, never lies. Usually the, 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 the right number in deciding how much severance you should get is based on the T4 amount. Okay. So if it shows that you make an average of $80,000 or 60 or 25, whatever the amount is, that's the number we're going to use because that number is going to include everything. It's going to include your overtime, your commissions, your bonuses, uh, not just your base. You know, a guy like me who has tons of Apple and Google stock, you know, I'm concerned, you know, when it's time to being, you know, let go. How about, <laughs> not really, how are stock options dealt with? Not that I would ever have to care, but. Uh, well, you don't, you don't have any uh, Chorus no, uh, stock? Uh, yes, I have tons. I'm a loyal employee with tons of <laughs> Tons options. of good things here. <laughs> yes. So uh, so let, let me tell you and the other Chorus employees uh, how Laura, your Chorus stock yeah should be dealt with uh, at the time of, uh, of termination. But, but in, all, in, all jokes, in all seriousness, no joking, uh, sometimes stock options can be extremely valuable. And I've had cases where they literally were worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Come on. Wow. And, and so the question is, how are they dealt with? Now, usually, I, I would say in every case, uh, if an employer has a stock option plan, uh, it, there's actually a plan document in place that outlines the terms. 
And that document is going to outline what you're entitled to, how it's going to be treated at the time of termination. Usually there's a few options. One of them may be that you lose any stocks that you haven't ex- or any options that you haven't exercised and the date of termination. Uh, the other option may be that uh, for you have 30 days, 60 days, a, a certain fixed period of time mm-hmm. to exercise your, uh, your options and buy, uh, buy the stocks. Another option may be that for the severance period, whether it's six months, eight months, 12 months, you have that long a time to exercise your option. So we have to address that. Uh, a lot of times employers are going to say, no, no, you lose any unexercised stock options. They can only do that if there's a contract of employment or if there's a plan that the employee signed that allows them to, to take away those options. So the, you know, depending on the company, those options may be extremely valuable and have to be considered as part of the severance. Short break. 416-216-5900, Lior at employmenthour.com to get a hold of some more emails coming through. Plus, we'll tackle employee rights when a business is sold, which we just touched on a short time ago. Right here in the Employment Hour on Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. 416-216-5900, that's the number to contact Lior directly and Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll get to more emails here in just a bit. We're talking about uh, how severance is actually calculated. We'll wrap it up with this one. I know it's something you mentioned all the time. What about other perks uh, beyond stock options and bonuses uh, in the form of uh, you know, company car, apartment, gym membership? Pez dispenser, <laughs> things Pez that dis- came with things that came with your employment. Yeah, well, I, I know that the chorus always gives their employees the Pez dispenser. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so you you get your Pez dispenser on termination, John. Don't worry That's about that. Right. Uh, but uh, any perk that an employee has, any any uh, uh, thing of value, of dollar value, has to be included as part of severance. Car uh, car is a most uh, common example. So I get a company car as part of my job, for example. And what happens if I lose my job? Right. Well, that car has a value, dollar value. For example, if I were to lease that car, let's say it would cost me $500 a month. Well, then I'm entitled to an extra, either to actually have the car Keep for the, the severance yeah. period, yeah. or I'm entitled to an extra $500 or whatever the value is to, for me to go out and lease wow. a similar car. Apartment, for example, applies to superintendents. Many times superintendents Good call. Uh, right. get an apartment in the buildings. They don't make as much money, but because they get to stay in the, in the building rent-free, there's a, there's a value to them. So what happens if they lose their job? Well, they're entitled either to keep the apartment for the severance period, however many months that is, or they're entitled to the dollar value of renting a similar apartment mm-hmm. because that's part of their compensation. So, and, and by the way, uh, companies that employ superintendents are notorious for not including apartments in severance. Is that right? And, and that's a huge deal because you lost yeah. your job. You have to vacate. Where are you going to find a place to stay? I mean, it, it's, it's a problem. Apartment has to be included. Same with any other perks. I mean, a gym membership may not be worth much from a real dollars and cents standpoint, but strictly speaking, the employer has to include that. Now, the, the things that an employer does not have to include right. are the things that are tied directly to, to you doing your work. For example... If the employer pays for your parking downtown uh, to come into work, well, that's tied to you coming into work. So if you're not working because the employer lets you go, they don't have to pay severance. It'd be nice. Uh, it'd be nice. Another example, if you have to drive for work, the employer may pay you mileage. Well, obviously, if you're going to drive after you've been let go, they're not going to pay you mileage because you're not working. Yeah. But, so, but if you have a, a perk that's not directly tied to the performance of your job, like a, a vehicle, like an apartment, like a gym membership, 
uh, many other things, then that all has to be included as part of the severance for the relevant period of time. If there's any equipment you've bought for doing your uh, particular job, can that be factored in or that's after the fact? If equipment that you bought out of your own, your own money? Yeah. Uh, interesting. If, if you bought that equipment um, be, because you had to, because you felt that a big employer told you to do the job, you have to buy that equipment. Uh, depending on how long after you bought the equipment the job ends, the employer may have to pay you the value for it. Uh, if you bought it five years ago and you've used it for the last five years, it's yours. The employer doesn't have to account for it. I'm just thinking like a perfect example where that would be you know, heavily weighted would be an auto mechanic. Those, those chests they have, there are thousands of dollars worth of tools in there, right? They bought them for the trade, right? Yeah, although presumably they can still use them for another job. Right. So if they own it, they own it and they can use it. Okay. Okay. I want to get into employee rights uh, when a business is sold. We talked about this with an email a short time ago with Denise and Milton. Um, outline for us common situation uh, when, when or where a business is sold. Yeah, so let, let's talk about the, a classic simple example where someone may be having to make a decision because their business is sold. So uh, it, it happens all the time with doctor's office because doctors often retire uh, right. or, or, or they merge or they, they sell their practices. Happens with lawyers too, by the way. Uh, so you work for a doctor's office, and you, the doctor that uh, you're you're working for is about to to retire, mm-hmm. and the doctor decides to sell his practice to another doctor. So you're advised that uh, effective July the first, you're now going to be working for Doctor X instead of the regular doctor because he's bought the practice. Yes. So so that's the common example, and an employee in that situation is going to think, well, wait a second. Uh, I don't know if I want to work for the other doctor. I don't know him. I don't know what expectations he has. Uh, I've I've worked for the last 20 years with this doctor, so what do I do? And by the way, the same situation applies not just with doctors. It applies in any business, manufacturing, auto, et cetera. uh, And and that's where the problem arises, and that's where some misconceptions arise when people are in a situation where the the employment uh, is going to be affected by the sale of the business and the people need to know... uh, what, what, they, what they have to do. Okay. So let, let's kind of break this down. So if a business is sold, an employee has options. The first option is they can decide to continue working and now work for the new employer. If they do that, the new employer, the, the company that bought the business. Or doctor in this case. Or yeah. doctor. Yeah. Inherits their service. Of so that's 15 very years. important. 15 years or however many years. Got it. So if I work for a company, that company is sold I start working for the company that bought the business as part of this transaction. Uh, they inherit my service automatically, which means that if they let me go uh, a year after they bought the business, a year after I started working for them, mm-hmm. they have to pay me severance on the basis of my total employment, including my employment from before the sale. Okay. So that's one option that I have is, is to continue working and start working with the buyer. The second option is I can decide not to work. And the question then becomes, why did I decide not to work for the new employer? Why did I decide to, to leave when the business was sold? If I decide to leave for a legitimate reason, because the new doctor or the new buyer would change my terms of employment, they would relocate me, they'd pay me a less money, uh, they, they, they'd have a very different job for me. So if there's a good legitimate reason as to why I don't want to work for the buyer, I'm still going to be owed my severance, my full severance, from the seller, from the company that sold the business. They owe you the severance. They owe you, because they're the ones that ultimately are ending your relationship. They're terminating your employment. And if you don't have an obligation to accept the job with uh, uh, with the buyer, because it's a very different job, you get your full severance based on your age, length of employment, and position from the seller. 
Well, what happens if you don't want to accept the job, but there's really no good reason? You just you don't know? like the doctor. He's got a bad want, reputation. Or maybe you're going to use this exa- this opportunity to look for other work, right, maybe okay. change careers. Yep. You know, I was thinking about it. I'll take this opportunity and do that, and I'm not going to go work for the buyer. At that point, because there's no good reason, you still get severance from the company that sells the business, but not your full severance. Okay. You only get a portion of your severance, your minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Oh, Act. that's back to the week thing. A week per mm. year. If it's a bigger company, it may be more than that. So you still get your minimum severance, not your full severance. So the only time you get your full severance, if you decide not to accept a job with the buyer, is if there's a legitimate reason for that. If there's something you can point to that uh, allows you to say, the job with the buyer would be so different that I don't have to go there. We'll take a short break. The number to call is 416-216-5900. Lior at employmenthour.com. Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. The number to contact is 416-216-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com to send us an email. Talking about employee rights when the business is sold. I get down to this one. Does it matter if the new company wants the employee to sign a contract of employment? Big time. It matters a lot. And so let me uh, outline this for you. Company is being sold. The new company that's going to take over the employment wants the employees to sign a contract of employment. Uh, why does it matter? The reason why it matters is because of the point that I made earlier. The company, the buyer, the company that's buying the business inherits the service. Mm-hmm. But they're also allowed to co- enter into a contract that effectively says, we're not going to do that or we're, we're not going to inherit your service. We're going to treat you as a new employee. So if you sign a contract, if the business is sold, you're going to start a co- uh, employment with a new company. They want you to sign a contract. You want to make sure if there's anything in that document that excludes your previous service, if it eliminates the amount of severance you would get in the future if your position ends. Because you want to have that security if you're an employee that says that if you continue working with the buyer and your seniority carries through, you're, you're still not, you haven't lost anything. So if your job ends at some point down the road, you're going to get your full severance. An employer is allowed. And, and by the way, I advise employers, uh, employer clients of mine, when they buy a business that they want to enter into contracts with new hires okay. because they may want to have the flexibility of not inheriting their service or letting them go with minimal severance. Well, that's, that was my next question. What should an employer do if they don't want to inherit that service? Yeah. If I, if I have my employer advisor hat on, I would tell employers that are buying a business, never, ever, ever to uh, take on employees without them having signed a contract of employment. And let me, let me give you an example as to why I say that. So let's, let's talk about the, the dentist example. So mm-hmm. the new dentist buy the, buys the business, takes on an employee with 30 years of seniority, okay, and starts working with that employee and realizes, you know what, this employee, very nice person, but we just don't mesh. We don't work well together. We have very different personalities. It's just not a good fit. Not Nothing personal. I'm going to let this employee go. And they've only worked for me for three months. Oh, crap. Guess what now? You're now terminating an employee with 30 years seniority. Hello. So you may have to pay them 24 months of compensation. Uh, it, it, it's a huge liability there. So what could have this hypothetical employer have done? What could it, uh, the employer have done? It, it could have and uh, should have entered into a contract of employment with the employee that uh, limited the amount of severance. And they could have potentially let this person go with as little as eight weeks pay instead of 24 wow. months pay. Big time. So if you're going to be taking on employees that you never actually hired, you never interviewed, you don't know if they're good employees, you don't want to necessarily, if you're the employer, assume 
their past service. On the other hand, of course, if I now have my employee advisor hat on, of course, you always want your seniority to carry through, which means you want to be weary and mindful and mindful not to sign a contract of employment that eliminates your prior service. 416-216-5900, Lior at employmenthour.com. I want to bounce over to email here, take a break. Uh, Bernie in Toronto says, I've been accused by my employer of running a competing side business. Uh, I've been suspended without pay while they investigate. Can they even do this? Yeah, and uh, the answer is no. The reason they can't do that is because a suspension without pay is a disciplinary measure. So it's discipline. An employer cannot impose discipline until they've decided that the employee did something wrong. It's putting the cart before the horse. So if the employer is still investigating whether uh, Bernie did something wrong, how can the employer impose discipline? said, well, we don't know if you did anything wrong. We're going to look into it. So Just let, in case. So let us discipline <laughs> yeah. you now. It's one thing if the employer says, well, to be safe, we're going to put you on a suspension with pay, fine, while we investigate, and then decide whether we want to take any disciplinary measure against you. So no, in this case, the employee is entitled to, to consider that suspension without pay is a constructive dismissal, which means they're entitled to severance. It's not something the employer can do. Something you commonly see with like the police service, right? Suspended with pay until there's an investigation right. done, right? Except keep in mind, in, in, the, in that context, there's a collective agreement in place because right. it's a unionized workplace, which does give uh, the police services uh, board a bit different powers mm-hmm. than a regular employer would have. Back to employee rights when the business is sold. What can an employer uh, that is selling its business do to reduce its liability? Because you mentioned that they, they could be on the hook for the sales. They're on right? the hook, yes. Uh, yeah. and, and this situation arises where you're selling the business, the employees decide not to accept the job, or maybe they're not hired on by the company that's buying the business, right. and you, the person or, or the business selling uh, the, the business, is uh, left having to pay severance. So how do you do that? Well, the best way to eliminate uh, liability or reduce it significantly is to give advance notice of the sale. So if you tell people, just letting you know that in 12 months or 8 months or as much notice as you can, we're selling the business and you're no longer going to be working for us, then you've given them notice and that counts towards severance. Okay, the okay. notice instead of severance. But if you, tell, if you give them a week's notice, then you still have to pay them full severance. So the best uh, advice I can give employers give people notice of this transaction as much as possible. I know some employers are going to be very weary. We don't want to tell people about it uh, until we absolutely have to. But the problem is if you don't tell people, you may have to pay them a lot of severance. You have to make the decision. To be clear, would it ever be considered a resignation if an employee chose not to work for the new company? It's never a resignation. It's really? ever, never will be a resignation if the employee decides not to work with the new company. Uh, it's always going to be a termination if the business is sold. It simply becomes a question of how much severance should the employee get. And the, the answer to that depends on whether, as I said, there was a good reason not to accept the job with the company that bought the business or there's not such a good reason. But it's never a resignation. A sale of a business always results in a termination of employment, full stop. We'll take a break. 416-216-5900, Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Lots more of the show coming up right here on Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. The number to contact, 416-216-5900 and Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Going to wrap up the uh, topic for today, which was employee rights when a business is sold. Let me ask you this. Um, which is going to be happening possibly with a member of my family, longtime um, secretary or girl at the front for a doctor. He's going to retire. 
Uh, Does she get anything or she, her absolutely. just employment's over? Really? I, okay. I see this so many times. It right. happens often to doctors, especially in the last few years. You know, you have an aging population. A lot of these uh, these doctors that have been doing this for many years, doctors, dentists, chiropractors, uh, are, are retiring. Mm-hmm. So as long as the the relationship ends because of something that the employer, the doctor is doing, doesn't matter what the reason is, it's a termination and that employee is entitled to full Even a retirement. Service. Even wow. retirement, 110%. No question about it. The only time an employee, let's make it clear, the only time an employee does not get severance is if the employee decides of their own volition to leave. And even then, if it's a constructive dismissal, the employee can get severance. But if a doctor retires, the employee is entitled to severance. I get probably emails and calls about that every week, probably a few every week. Uh, doctors retiring, they're saying, he's saying so long, farewell, thank you very much for all the hard work. No, no, they're at full severance. And a lot of times, by the way, if we look at doctor's offices, you may have people that work for a very long time. Oh, see, I know this This person I know is over 20 years. Oh, yeah, so. very yeah. common, very common. Because yeah. usually, you know, you develop a close relationship. You could work for 20, 30 years. Uh, so, you know, 20 years working at a doctor's office, you could probably be looking at, depending on the person's age, 18 months of severance. It's huge. So what the doctor should do is, like you said in the previous segment, a year out, say, I'm going to be retiring in give, 2015. Give notice. But yeah. by the way, it's not enough to say, just so you know, at some point in the next year, I'm retiring. Right. It has to have a specific end date. I'm telling you that effective July 1st, 2016, whatever the date is. And put it in writing. In writing, you're no longer working here because I'm retiring. In which yeah. case, the person would have had however many months notice. The scope out a new gig, And, and, right? and that counts yeah. towards your severance, exactly. 416-216-5900, Lior, L-I-O-R, and employmenthour.com. Got Hector in Richmond Hill. Says, I'm an employer and an employee that has been on disability leave is trying to return back to work and has provided a doctor's note saying that he is fit to return. I don't think he's been honest with his doctor and concerned about taking him back. I guess it could be a liability. What uh, what should I do? Yeah, and you know it's a, it's a tricky situation if you yeah. have a doctor saying that the person can go back to work. So what I I suggest in this situation that Hector does is it provide the employee with the letter to take to the doctor, uh, which outlines the person's job description and tells exactly the doctor exactly what the uh, the person does, including the physical aspects of the job. And then have the doctor confirm in writing that the person can do this job. Because the person may go to uh, the doctor and say, yeah, yeah, I can go back to work. It's really an easy job. I just sit around most of the day. Mm-hmm, when in fact, that may not be the case. Mm-hmm. So the employer should take it on itself to provide the doctor with a job description and get confirmation. If the doctor still says, yes, that's fine, you can come back, he can come back to work. And there's not much the employer can do. The employer can, in fact, uh, or, or not can, the employer has should, to, right? has to take the employee back. Now, if it's if the information that the doctor provides is not clear, it's inconsistent, uh, or or the doctor doesn't know, it's okay to then ask the employee to see a third neutral party, uh, another doctor uh, that the employer could could pay for for an independent assessment. But that's a pretty extreme measure. Mm. Usually, you simply want to ask the employee's doctor for more information. So the letter's been sent. The doctor's sent it back to the employer. Uh, employee comes back to work for a month having trouble, and employer says, I knew it all along, this wasn't going to work, what recourse do they have? Yeah, and if first of all, if the employer feels that the employee cannot do their job properly, safely, if they're uh, endangering themselves or others, or they simply can't do the job at, at a level that's required, the, first of all, the employer can see, has to see if they can provide some sort of accommodation. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that in previous shows. But if no accommodation is possible, it's okay for the employer to say, I can't have you work here until... Uh, you're, you're cleared until you can do the job. Uh, but the employer has to be very, very sure that that's, there's a real problem there because if the employer uh, says, well, I, I, I thought that you were walking around a bit gingerly, but 
there's really nothing going on and the employer sends the employee home, that is a termination uh, and wow. the employer may have to pay them severance. So tread very carefully there. We get to one more email here. Sarah in Aurora simply says, my employer has cut my hours in half. What do I do? Wow. Uh, you know, th- that's, a, that's a big one, uh, cutting in half. And it's, oftentimes we see situations where, you know, it's a more uh, mild reduction, you know, maybe a few hours a week or a, or a month. If it's in half, that's a constructive dismissal. It's, it's a constructive dismissal with a cherry on top. There's mm-hmm. no other way to, to describe it. So she has an option. She can accept a reduction and work half the hours. Or she can say, no, employer, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to treat this as a constructive dismissal. You now have to pay me my severance. I'm leaving. So those are the options. The problem, by the way, we touched on that earlier, is if she says, fine, I'll accept this position because it's better to have a job than not, even if I'm making half. Yeah, right. And the next day she loses her job, guess what? Now her severance is going to be calculated on the half hours. Next day. The, the next day, essentially. Oh. So that's the problem. So if, she, if she's going to lose her job, she's better losing her job at full-time hours than at half hours. Okay. Let's talk about the severance calculator before we wrap up for this show. Give us some details on it. That's right. You know, I always like to mention it because I, I, I'm, you know, fairly proud of it. It's a nice tool. It's a great tool. Uh, first of all, severancepaycalculator.com. You can go there right now. Check it out. Uh, you can also, if you want, download the app on iPhone, iPad, and Android. It calculates the amount of severance, the full severance that an employee is entitled to get. doesn't nice. matter if it's a, as a result of a restructuring or businesses being sold, cost-cutting, what have you. If the person's losing their job, they're owed severance, and that calculates how much severance you're owed. You enter three pieces of information, the length of your employment, your age, and your position, and it's going to tell you right there on the screen how many months severance. Now... There's Up until we've created this uh, last year, there was only one way to find out your full entitlements, which is to give a lawyer a call. And I obviously encourage that. That's why I give my number on the air all the time. Call me, please. Happy to talk to you. But if you're feeling bashful, if you're it's, it's, it's the weekend or you just want to know before you call, go to severancepaycalculator.com. Uh, it's going to tell you right there and then how much severance you're owed. It's a great tool. Generally a big shock. It is a big shock. Most people actually think that it's wrong. They email right. saying, you know, Lior, it said that. Is that really correct? I don't think that's yeah, your right. Your algorithm's all messed up. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's, a, there's a bug in the, in the system. Yeah. No, I assure you there's no bugs. I, I created it myself. It works fine. The amount may be higher because it's more than you expect, but it's still the truth. It's still the law. And there's an employee switch, an employer switch on it right. too, right? You know, there's a, an employer mode there where you, the employer can get some additional information. Again, it's all free. And an employer may want to know exactly how much severance they owe an employee as well uh, because they can't get that information calling the Ministry of Labor. They can't get that information looking online for any, yeah. anything else. They call a lawyer or they use the severance pay calculator. So I encourage everyone, employers, employees, young or old, go check it out. That'll do it for this week, my friend. You are relieved with full severance for this show. Thank you. <laughs> the number to call outside of show hours with Lior anytime, by the way, is 416-216-5900. And you'll get a hold of them through email at Lior at employmenthour.com. That'll do it for one more week. We'll join you here next weekend on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML.